So uh, 2,000 years ago, what Jesus and his disciples are celebrating is what's called Passover. And maybe you've learned that over here in your religion classes, and maybe you've grown up hearing that throughout your life, what Passover is. And if you didn't know, I'll remind you, this is when God took the children of Israel and pulled them out of slavery. And, and once God did this miraculously, when he just overpowered all of Egypt, uh, overpowered Pharaoh and, and this unbelievable nation, he rescued them and then he had this meal. And this meal was called a Passover meal, uh, sometimes referred to as a Seder meal. And what you would do in this meal is it was designed and intended to engage all of your senses so that you would have a taste associated with bondage, that you would have uh, an experience associated with God granting you freedom. And so what would happen is every year God's people would remember, remember Passover, remember Passover, and they'd celebrate this meal. Now, remembering is a very different thing than maybe how we're thinking of it now. Uh, we think of remembering as just kind of this thought, and you, you remember that time when you were a kid, or you remember that fun thing you did last weekend, or what somebody said in the last period of class, or what happened 25 years ago, right? Whatever it could possibly be. Remembering, though, in the way that God understood it, was that it would actually mold you, that it would actually change who you are, that it would form you in a very, very different way than just simply a thought. And this was a meal that was meant to remind people about not only reconciling with one another, but having reconciliation with God. It was incredibly significant. And so those of you, if, if you didn't to, to piece everything together, is last Sunday was Lamb Selection Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's on the back of a donkey. And if you've ever seen the, the hair pattern on the back of a donkey, it's that of a cross. He has the cross before him as he rides into Jerusalem. Everybody, he's got lambs on either side of him because it's Lamb Selection Sunday. And all of the people in thinking that Jesus was the one who's going to rescue them and, and overthrow all of Rome, thinking that this is the guy that's going to lead us in the same way that, that God rescued us from all of Egypt and Pharaoh, this is it. And so what Jesus is weeping as he comes in because he realizes they've now selected the lamb, the lamb of God. And so that happens on Sunday, and now we fast forward all the way to Thursday, and there's this meal. Now, at this meal, we believe that this is kind of how things went down. We don't know were there four different cups, or were there just four different points that they drank from the same cup. But this meal was very, very purposeful in its meaning and its reason. You didn't just sit around and eat like maybe we do at the dinner table here in this room. It had a very different purpose behind it. Here's why, by the way, we believe that this is what was going on. Number one, um, there's a strong emphasis with Jesus and his disciples on remembering. That's very much like a Passover meal. Number two, um, wine was within the meal, okay? Number three, they sang a hymn at the end of the meal, which is very much consistent with a Passover meal. And then finally, they all reclined. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about reclined. Those of you who may not know this, but back in the day, you wouldn't sit this high, if I were to do this right, we'd put these, these tables almost on the floor. And what you would do in, in ancient Judaism is you would lean on your left side. So you'd lay on your left side like this, and you'd lean on your elbow. And so everybody would be placed all the way around the table. In other words, if you wanted to talk to someone in front of you right here, you're talking to the back of their head. And if they wanted to talk to you, they're kind of talking over their shoulder. 
So it's, it's, a, it's a, just a traditional, kind of an odd thing that's different for us, but that's how they were all laying on their left side, okay? Now what's fascinating is scripturally at some point there's an argument or a discussion really about who is the greatest. It's not because the disciples um, just at that moment decided to have a feud over a meal, like maybe we do in this room on Thanksgiving or something. There's actually a reason that they're asking about who is the greatest. See, during this meal, the person who is the servant would be right here. And scripturally, we could make a decent case that the person right here was Peter. The other disciples are all the way around this meal. They're all leaning on their left, all leaning on their left, all leaning on their left, all leaning on their left. And then there are these two spots right here. And on either side of these two is the rabbi. The two places of honor are right here and right here. So we know that Jesus is right here. One of the seats of honor, and we know because uh, we, scripturally it's described that, that John's back was to Jesus, we know that John was right here. We also know that when you do this kind of a meal, three people, to every three, they share from the same bowl, okay? They dip from the same bowl, which means that if this is John and this is Jesus, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, here's Jesus the rabbi. That means the person right behind Jesus is Judas. And so it's fitting that Judas during this meal is that close to the person that he would betray. But that's how everyone is set out. And at one point, Jesus has kind of this odd moment with his disciples where he's, he all of a sudden stands up as the rabbi and he says, let me, let me wash your feet. I'm going to wash your feet. This is what I'm going to do. And if you remember, at one point, John, uh, Peter is actually kind of upset by this. Like, that's not your job. I'm the guy that's here. I'm the guy that's supposed to be washing people's feet. I'm the servant position here, okay? And all of a sudden, Jesus goes all the way around, and whenever he gets to Peter, Peter kind of looks at him like, you know, if you're going to do this, Jesus, well, why don't you wash my hands and my head while you're at it? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In other words, in Judaism, when he says, wash my hands and my head and my feet, that's another way of saying, I repent. I'm unclean. And Jesus already is telling him, no, 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 you're already clean, Peter. You're fine. What I'm trying to show you is that what it looks like for the greatest in the kingdom of God to serve. So here's the rabbi taking a position that actually is supposed to be the lowest person's job. And he goes all the way around during this meal. Okay? So there's wine. There's this unleavened bread at the meal. And then there's lamb. Now, with the unleavened bread, they'd have these little bowls that they would dip in that had bitter herbs. It was meant to be bitter. So that when you tasted it, it would remind you of the bitter taste of slavery. And you'd always remember, not just from what our ancestors went through, but you would have the bitter taste of bondage, of slavery. So this brings us to the meal. There's four cups, and there were four promises that God laid over his people in ancient Judaism, okay? Number one, it was, I will take you out. I will take you out of Egypt. That's what God promised to do, and that's what he did. Um, number two, I will set you free. Now, what's the difference? Well, one is, 
I got you out from slavery, but maybe number two is, like, you only know how to act like a slave. You only know how to think like a slave. Like, maybe you've ever known someone who had an addiction, and God set them free from it, but for the longest time, they struggle with, how do I even function in this world as a person who's been set free? So God says, no, no, no. I'll even set you free. I'll give you a different set of desires. Okay, that's, that's the second promise. The third promise is this. I will redeem you. So like people that have been through something terrible like the children of Israel did, maybe they felt dirty. They felt stained from their past. So he says, no, no, no. The third promise is I will redeem you. I'll make you a new creation. I'll make you something else entirely different. All of that stuff that you were ever associated with is no more. And then the final is, I will take you with me. The fourth promise. And so the fourth promise is almost kind of marriage language. I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to, here's a key word, protect you. So these are the four promises. So as the meal starts, the first thing you would do is you would talk about the story of, of between Egypt and the children of Israel and Moses and God's faithfulness. And remember, they're all reclining, sitting around the table, and they start recounting this story. And Jesus would do that as the rabbi. And the first thing he would do is he would, he would take this cup, and they would all drink of it, and they would remember the first promise of God, that I took you out from slavery. And what they're doing is they're sitting there drinking it, thinking to themselves, I wonder if God this year is going to take us out from the slavery of Rome. So they took a drink, and they all pass it around of this one remembrance, this belief of what God will do. Then, at some point, they take another drink in the meal, that God will set us free from all of, of what we've been through as a people in this time, in this space, under the Roman government. And then, after these two drinks, the meal begins. They begin to eat. And it's at this point that Jesus takes the unleavened bread, and he then talks about, this is my body. In the same way you used to eat this bread and remember what God did in the Passover, now when you eat this, in the same way you remember my goodness and my faithfulness in your life. And he's pointing to, to all of his disciples, there's a different kind of bondage that you need to get free of. You have a whole different problem. And I've come to rescue you from that problem. And it's during that time, as they're all eating, that he makes the comment that the person that I dip with is the person that will betray me. And so it's at that point that the person that he's sharing the bowl of bitter herbs with is Judas. But still, for some odd reason, no one has a clue <laughs> that it's literally Judas. Judas. No one ever figures that out at that point, at least in the story. And then at some point, there's the third cup. And it's that, I will redeem you. And it's at this cup that this is the point after the meal. When you read after the meal, I even just said that. That Jesus then says, this is my blood, which is shed for you. For the forgiveness of all of your sins. And they're all just shocked. He's taking this covenant promise. And he's reinterpreted the whole thing, its fulfillment in himself. And so they all drink yet again, kind of shocked 
and amazed at the depth of what's happening in this moment. And then finally, the fourth is this one for protection. Here's what's interesting. Jesus gets to the fourth cup and he says, I won't drink again until I drink anew. And they all look at him and they go, no, Jesus, well, you, you got to drink the, to the fourth promise. The fourth promise is God's protection. Surely you're going you're gonna to do that. We're all going to drink to that. And he makes it real clear, no, I'm not. This is where this meal then goes into Good Friday. Because Jesus drinks to all three promises. But Jesus does not drink to God's protection. And so what you will see, what you will hear about tomorrow night is there's a fifth cup that Jesus will drink from. And he drinks from it in the garden. But all of it finally comes to a head because he, at the table, reclined with his disciples, elects to not drink to God's protection, God's mercy. And it will be the cup that he will drink from tomorrow, which will be the reason why. Last thing that is interesting is they would leave this meal and they would head down after this meal to uh, Gethsemane, a garden in that area. As they're headed, they pass through what's called the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is this stream of water that would be below the level of where the temple was, where they had just slaughtered all the lambs for, for, uh, for Passover. And all of the blood for over 260,000 lambs has run, and they have to clean out the temple. And so, you know, you get water going, and you begin to cleanse the temple. Well, that blood and that water and that mix begins to flow downhill, and it flows into the Kidron Valley. And so Jesus, on his way after this meal, not drinking to God's protection, the fourth cup, walks right through the Kidron Valley, which is blood-soaked with the blood of lamb. Even in his direction, even in his way, headed towards the garden, in his final moments tomorrow night, he has before him the reminder that he is the lamb of God that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. How great is our God with constant reminders of his death and the way that he would hurt for each and every one of us. And yet his obedience was perfect. 